Welcome to the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast. This podcast is powered by Christianity Today. Good mon- Good morning, everyone. Uh, happy Monday. Hope you're doing well. I uh, just want to invite you to take a moment to take a deep breath, to put the resignation letter down, and to spend a few minutes listening to this interview that we're about to play with Harold Sankbile. Um, Harold wrote a book a few years ago or this past year called The Care of Souls. Uh, it was one of the CT Book Book of the Year awards, and it is a fantastic book on pastoral ministry. So I'm just going to stop talking. You're going to just hear a little bit about him, and we're going to launch right into this amazing episode. Harold Sankbile is Executive Director for Spiritual Care at Doxology, the Lutheran Center for Spiritual Care and Counsel, and the author of Christ in Calamity and the Care of Souls. He served in parish ministry for more than 30 years before becoming an associate professor at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Harold was born and raised on a Minnesota farm, and his rural background has shaped his approach to work and people. We hope you enjoy this interview with Harold Sankbile. Hal, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate having you on uh, this podcast. Well, I've looked forward to visiting with you, Doug. It's it sounds like a, a great a great time. Looking yeah, forward. yeah. So you know, you've been in ministry for quite a few years, and so as you think through your years in ministry, tell us about your calling, maybe some of the churches you led, and and where God has you right now serving. Okay. Yeah. So I've had uh, I've been privileged to serve in a number of different settings, kind of a all nine yards is available to us in our particular denomination, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. We are kind of top heavy in the upper Midwest. And so all of my parishes have been in the upper Midwest. <clears throat> so I served a small town ministry. I served a, uh, what we call a town gown. So I had responsibilities for a local campus of the University of Minnesota there. Mm. Um, again, most of that was in a semi-rural setting. And then, um, I was a mission developer in Madison, Wisconsin, which was a very interesting experience. Um, my district president at the time said, it's as close as you can get to foreign missions in, <laughs> in the United States. Uh, so uh, I enjoyed that very, very much. And if I had it in me, I probably would have done another mission plant. Mm-hmm. But I was pleased to um, move then to a, a suburban parish where we had a large staff with us in by our standards, a fairly large congregation. Uh, we had a Christian day school, and uh, so we were operating, you know, K through eight, um, parochial education, and um, so that was a team ministry. I had um, one or two fellow pastors and a, a whole cadre of uh, support staff plus the teachers. Hmm. So, uh, and then. Um, I received a call and accepted it to serve as a professor at a seminary in, in Fort Wayne, Indiana, where I was for um, six years, and then for 11 years as a director of a parachurch organization called Doxology. And I invite all of your listeners to have a look at our website, doxology.us is the, is the domain, and uh, there's a lot of resources for pastors there. And uh, some programming, too, that I think would be of interest to pastors of every stripe. So since August of last year, I've been retired now for the third time. <laughs> and uh, 
I get to be my first priority, my first vocation as a husband. So my wife and I have three grown children, four grandchildren. And um, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, or sometimes, frankly, depending on the day, <laughs> I have the opportunity to serve as a full-time caregiver for her because <clears throat> she has a number of health issues. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> we're enjoying that kind of a, a new phase of life. I told my best friend, um, you know, it's all an adventure to me. I've never been old before. So <laughs> I get to start all over again. Oh. Um, and in the meantime, uh, Lexham has given me the privilege of doing some writing. Um, so I'm enjoying that as well. Yeah. And I, I cannot wait to talk to you about your book. Uh, just a couple more questions before we jump into that. Because again, I'm um, really excited to to just talk about some of the things that I discovered as I was reading uh, some of the work that that you were able to share with us. But, you know, as a pastor going through all the different spaces that you've been through, all the different callings, how did how did you stay in it for all of those years? Like what kept you grounded? What kept you healthy? Some days I wondered myself. Yes. <laughs> I guess the short answer is the grace of God. Mm. Um, but <clears throat> but um, the, the years weren't all uh, thrilling, I have to say. Um, I should say every year had some thrills in it, but there are moments in ministry that every, every pastor has that are not particularly fun because we deal with some rather ugly things. <laughs> when you're dealing with people, the reality is uh, they're, the, the saints of God are also sinners. Mm. And uh, so they're either being sent against or they're sinning against others, and that uh, complicates things, and life gets interesting. I like um, Eugene Peterson's phrase, uh, the ministry really consists of directing prayer in the traffic of life. <laughs> oh, that's good. And uh, so the traffic is swirling sometimes and it gets pretty hairy. Um, but uh, to be grounded, to be rooted in Christ, to be um, guided by his word is, of course, the secret to sus sustaining yourself throughout, throughout ministry and maintaining some equilibrium in the middle of all the things that would set you off balance. Mm. Well, it's interesting because you mentioned uh, just a few seconds ago about having a conversation with your best friend. Um, and that it's, I have not heard a lot of pastors use a phrase best friend. And, and I've also learned that that is one of those really beautiful means of grace that, that is so important in the life of a pastor. <clears throat> Absolutely. That's one of my favorite. It, it, it becomes more and more, a theme in my own thought and my own ministry uh, to others. Uh, we need friends. Uh, it's a gift that God gives to us. And it's really quite arrogant to think that you can set out <laughs> to be the captain of your own soul, mm. particularly as a pastor, but, you know, any person. And I have to say, frankly, uh, most men are, <laughs> are surrounded by acquaintances but have very few friends. Mm. So we have to work at it. And, uh, I've been blessed over the years with a number of friends of this particular gentleman um, through uh, a number of circumstances has uh, grown quite close to me. And he's become a treasured colleague as well as a friend. So that takes uh, give and take. Mm. And it's worth the effort, I think. Mm. You know, it's interesting that in the New Testament, all the, <clears throat> excuse me, all the mission imperatives are in the plural. And yet, the contemporary model of ministry has um, every pastor's kind of a solo entrepreneur. 
mm. and which automatically sets him in competition <laughs> with other clergy. Mm. And that's very unfortunate. Um, in our Lutheran um, understanding, we even have a phrase for the, the great, how God's grace works uniquely through um, um, conversation. We call it the mutual conversation and consolation of brothers. Oh. God is surpassingly rich in his grace. <laughs> he provides <laughs> help to us in, the, in that kind of situation. Oh, wow. We're a band of brothers. Yeah, boy, that's that's so. I I really do wonder if you know. You show me a pastor who's in it for the long haul, and I I, I my guess is I could probably point to a group a group of friends that have walked faithfully side by side with with him or her in that in those seasons. So, question for you: You know, you've you also you talked about doxology, and and I've read up a little bit on it, and it I, I you were the uh, executive director for spiritual care, right. um, and so. What are you hearing and noticing about pastors in this season or just, you know, like some of the main themes that are coming out about about how pastors are doing or just encouragement to pastors in this season? Well, yeah, there are all kinds of stats uh, available to us, and I frankly haven't read a lot of the research, but my information is mostly anecdotal, that is, in conversations with individuals and some groups that I'm speaking to. and. Uh, so these are, um, as someone once wrote about a previous era of the times that try men's souls. Mm. Um, and so there's all kinds of things going on that are particular to our circumstance that probably other generations didn't face. And I say that as a member of another generation. <laughs> um, so, um, and yet... Um, our sufficiency is of God, and with Him, all things are possible. Mm. So, if we're uh, armed with uh, what our Lord provides us with in His Word and Sacrament, we are able not just to survive, but I think really to thrive. And in many ways, I think the challenges of our peculiar time uh, are really an advantage to us because we're able to do, go about the ministry without a lot of the clutter frankly, that has accumulated over the generations in previous eras. So we're left with the essentials, and uh, what's better than, than the essentials? Mm -hmm. Amen. Yeah, and so what what encouragement would you give pastors today who are feeling discouraged uh, or they're thinking about, you know, it's Monday morning and I might as well get my resignation letter ready? <laughs> Yeah, well, the encouragement is to, you know, we, I think we're called to look in two directions as pastors. One, certainly to the people for whom we're responsible and accountable, those under our care. Um, that includes, by the way, the lost. So mm -hmm. evangelization is part of that. Um, but at the same time, if we're focusing only on those individuals, we only have half the picture, and it's really the smaller half, so to speak. Mm -hmm. The other focus needs to be on the Lord Jesus who sends us and says, as the Father sent me, even so, mm -hmm. by you. <laughs> so um, the Lord gave us two eyes, and we want to keep one eye <laughs> peeled mm -hmm. on the flock and the other eye peeled on the shepherd, mm -hmm. focused on the shepherd. Uh, one of the most useful illustrations I've run across over the years 
of the ministry comes from um, a, a woman who was a retreat director in <laughs> in the Church of England, Evelyn Underhill, and she said the pastors are certainly under shepherds, but really, if you think about it, they're sheepdogs. <laughs> mm. um, they're doing the master's bidding among his sheep, and if if that's true, then we, it's, we don't have to make it up as we go along. If we're trying to outsmart the opposition, so to speak, or we're trying to anticipate um, the latest black um, that might be coming our way, <laughs> we're always on needles and pens. But we can be steadied if we uh, look to Jesus, who is the shepherd and bishop of our souls, and has given us the privilege of serving the ones for whom he bled and died. That's not just an immense responsibility. I would say it's a very high privilege. Mm. We stop and think about it, but if we all get if we get wrapped up in ourselves, like Peter on the Sea of Galilee, we're going to start sinking real quick. Mm. You know how I really appreciate even just that that you know looking in the looking at two different directions, but even a word that you said, privilege. I think there are these times when. When maybe as pastors, it's it's been so hard that we forget the privilege it is to co-labor with Christ, <clears throat> but also to to be reminded that we co-labor with, not that we have to labor for, but we're working with Jesus in the midst of all the stuff that's happening. Uh, so, yeah, and, and, and he does a heavy lifting yes. if you stop and think about it. Yes. Uh, the more I, we get out of the way and let him do the work and and... And we just serve as his servants, then um, the better off we'll be emotionally. Mm. And I would say also the more successful we'll be spiritually, because mm. it's only the work of the Holy Spirit by the means of Christ's gospel that really <laughs> accomplishes anything. Mm-hmm. So good. So I wanted to congratulate you on winning the Christianity Today Book of the Year Award uh, for your book, The Care of Souls Cultivating a Pastor's Heart. Um, man, I feel like this is one of those beautiful books uh, that is packed with both like deeply practical and yet deeply theological wisdom for pastors. And the way you were able to strike that balance is just such a gift. Um, and I, I, as I was reading it, I felt it was it was time it was timely and timeless. And so I just wanted to thank you so much for the work that you put into that. And I know that this book is a culmination of experience and failure and love. Um, and I just wanted to ask a question, like how, like, where did, how did this book come about in you, um, mm-hmm. or the church? Yeah, well, that's, it's, an, I, I never set out to write anything. I set out to fulfill my calling and, uh, kind of stumbled into writing, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, about 30 years ago. And then, um, one thing led to another, you might say. So it was my work with doxology that kind of brought this to the fore. I was previously, as I said, teaching um, pastoral theology in a seminar on a seminary level. So some of these themes I was trying to inculcate in these fledgling pastors. Um, but then when we launched doxology for to provide advanced skills in the care of souls, and my colleague, by the way, is a, is a licensed clinical psychologist. So mm. we had those two sides of the coin. <laughs> Um, psych- psychotherapy and 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 spiritual care. So as we launched that, <laughs> some people began saying, "Well, maybe you should think about writing some of this down." Mm. And it was the friend I mentioned either be- 
earlier is the one that kind of bugged me, got on my case and, and just kept at it hmm. for about six or eight years <laughs> until I finally sat down and began to write. So, uh, and then I discovered that there were things inside me that I wasn't really thoroughly aware of. And um, the picture that grew within me uh, led me back to my roots as a farm boy, uh, which is woven throughout the book. Mm-hmm. And the um, whole idea of a habitus of a pastor, namely a disposition <laughs> that's really hard to put your finger on. Uh, you really can't learn it out of a book, including my book. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it can't be taught in a traditional way in a classroom. Uh, it's really more caught than taught, and it's uh, always empowered by God, the Holy Spirit, mm. um, by means of his word as you do the ministry you're called to do. So um, probably a close analogy to that would be our colleagues in in the medical profession who have an immense body of knowledge that they gain in, in terms of uh, learning about human anatomy and, and uh, physiology and all those things. But ultimately, they call it the practice of medicine, and it's learned in the company of colleagues. And they learn the art, and it is an art, not in the science, Mm. the art of diagnosis and then accurate treatment. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's always tailored to the unique needs of the individual. Um, That's, I think, one of the problems we have as, as ministers. We tend to think in categories. And put people into little boxes and say, okay, this person needs this because they're in this category of life. But when actually they have all kinds of complex needs, not wants, but needs. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And then uh, our job is to connect the dots, so to speak, to bring Jesus to them and them to Jesus and let him um, go to work on them. Something that you said really, really early on uh, in your book is, and I love how you you parallel growing up on a farm uh, along with with life in ministry. It feels like there's this uh, almost this unhurried, but yet very intentional nature of of ministry. Um, and you said something right out of the gate. You said when ministry is rooted in Jesus and His gifts then that ministry will be all the more fruitful. Could you unpack that a little bit for us? Well, exactly right. <clears throat> Excuse me. If I'm, if I'm trying to make things happen out of my own ingenuity, or my own energy, my, my charisma, um, uh, out of the sheer force of my willpower, um, you know, I'm a finite human being. I'm going to run out of steam really quickly. Um, but if instead I serve as an agent of Christ, and I'm fully aware that I, in myself, I can do nothing, but in Him I can do much more than I ever anticipated, then that frees me up. <laughs> so I don't have to solve a problem, so to speak. I simply have to enter into the circumstance <laughs> with the full confidence that uh, our Lord understands this person. Again, Eugene Peterson, who's been so influential for me, said, remember that you're coming to the conversation late. Uh, (laughs) This person has been in kind of conversation with with the Lord all his or her life, or a good portion of it. And uh, what you say in this circumstance needs to fit with what their experience is. So take time to read the minutes and, and to be 
unhurried um, to have all the literally all the time in the world because uh, ultimately it's um, not up to me. I can't make things happen. I can only facilitate. So um, there are two phases I think in caring for people. One is to listen, and that's a good good share of what you're doing is listening, and not just with your ears but with your heart. Mm. And then to be intentional about what it is you're providing uh, from from the Word of God, and 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 if you're constantly flipping through Bible passages, you're never going to be able to really care for somebody. <laughs> uh, you have to fill up your reservoir through your own prayer and meditation. Mm. You need to be fed yourself. We can talk about that later. Um, but then you draw out of this treasury uh, what the Lord has given you. And you can only give what you first receive. Mm. Yeah, and I think there's something about, you know, you, you said it, you said it this way too. It, um, this might take us in a little bit of a dif- different direction, but you, you also mentioned that uh, you describe ministry as paying attention in the name of Jesus. And man, I feel like that, even what you're saying has a lot to do with that. Could you unpack that statement a little bit more about paying attention in the name of Jesus? Yeah, so it all revolves, it all is a question of of my own personhood and my ego, frankly, because, um, you know, every human being thinks more highly of himself than he ought to. So... If uh, I see ministry as an ego trip or uh, an opportunity or a need, even worse, to uh, promote myself, um, that's going to sabotage ministry in a hurry. Um, But if, on the other hand, I see that these are people for whom Christ died, and he has uh, uh, loved me enough to allow me to love them in his name, to be an agent for Jesus. Um, then I can um, I can be all ears. I can pay attention to what's going on with them, and that is not just to listen to the presenting symptoms. They, they often have a number of complaints. <clears throat> I used to say all the time, and people were forever confessing sins to me, but it usually was somebody else's sins. <laughs> <laughs> and they were blaming people, and they wanted me to choose sides, of course. Which is not unusual. It happened to Jesus in his ministry, too. Um, but we need to see beyond these presenting symptoms, these felt needs, to the, to the real needs. And that means we need to be perceptive and to really pay attention to other things in that person's life. Uh, what's going on with them socially, in their family, at their work or their school? Um, what pressures are they receiving? Um, <laughs> due to uh, forces beyond their control, maybe their upbringing, uh, their experience as a child. All of that plays into the present moment. (laughs) And it was uh, St. John Chrysostom back in the fourth century that said (laughs) that the pastor needs to have great wisdom and a thousand eyes to examine the condition of the soul from every angle. Mm. And uh, so it is a complex process, which is far beyond us, frankly. And I find that if the more I try to, I set out to master this, this science, I'm going to be at a loss. 
mm-hmm. but instead I practice the art. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I do that, it relaxes me. And I look beyond the internal pressures that I might sense within me to realize it is a great privilege to be here at this moment, to be um, um, an emissary uh, of my Lord. Mm. And this uh, Aaron boy for Jesus, I call it in the book. Mm. And um, so what is it that he wants to bring this person in this moment um, right now? And, and, and what does he want to give this person in the future? And how can I be privileged to be um, the the uh, agent for that? Mm. Uh, that's that I find that immensely freeing, and frankly, uh, a lot of fun most times, mm. even, even in the midst of very traumatic situations. I mean, I've frankly, I'd far rather conduct a funeral <laughs> than perform a wedding. Mm. Maybe that says more about the couples that I'm married. I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, you you know where the aches are. You know how to provide, um, apply the salve. Mm. It's um, it's a fantastic thing. Mm. Yeah it it's almost like I what I appreciate just in in what you just said is this this way of reorienting our lives around, you know, Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. He, uh, when he's, when he's kind of rethinking through, uh, Matthew 11, he calls it the unforced rhythms of grace. And, Mm -hmm. and it feels like there's something that's really powerful when a pastor has that moment where they can just take a step back from what's happening and, and just see what God is up to in the midst of that. And even to have uh, the wisdom to, 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 to speak that out and to proclaim that in the midst of, of whatever's happening. Right. I, you need to take a breath, in other words. Yes. Uh, yes. And, uh, and relax. Mm-hmm. So uh, <clears throat> I think it was, again, Eugene Peterson in one of his books uh, mentions, have you ever noticed, by the way, that we're doing a lot of Peterson quotes? Yeah. <laughs> he, he's a big, he's a, we're, we're huge fans of Peterson. <laughs> uh, bless you for that. Uh, so uh, he, he 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 has an illustration from Moby Dick, uh, where all the sailors are straining it in the whale boat to get out close enough to the whale so that so they can uh, capture this um, uh, this whale, hunt this whale. And he says everybody's working really hard except except for one man, and that's the harpooner in the prow of the boat. <laughs> he is perfectly quiet. Why? Because he needs to. To rise to his work out of rest, not mm-hmm. exertion. Mm. And um, too many times, I think we pastors are are far too busy about the wrong things, frankly. <laughs> and we are trying to, with every ounce of effort, make it happen on our own. And so we're exerting ourselves in all the wrong way, <laughs> rather than to find our rest in Christ. Jesus said, "You know, come to me, and I will give you rest." Mm. He is our great Sabbath. Mm. There is something so profound about that. Yeah, that story about rising to work out of a restful place instead of exertion. And I, I wonder, you know, I mean, we could name a bunch of things of of why, you know, how, how we've kind of got to that place as pastors. But I wonder, you know, from 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 your experience. What would be some ways that pastors could really begin to just embrace that work from the place of rest 
mm-hmm. opposed to work out of busyness. <clears throat> well, I think part of that is our calendars, which are mm. which are killing us. Um, make your calendar work for you. Um, put the important things on there, like your your uh, family, <clears throat> your spouse and family, your friends. We talked about friendships. Yeah, it deserves attention. Um, we are physical creatures. We need rest, physical rest. <laughs> we need to take care of our bodies, um, you know, and a lot of uh, clergy are, are really have suffer from all kinds of health issues because they've taxed their bodies in, in all the wrong ways. And diet is something <laughs> I struggle with <laughs> all the time. <clears throat> um, and exercise, that's all part of it. Um, but then, um, Spiritually speaking, and that kind of gets to um, chapter 11 of my book, mm. um, we need to be pastors of our own souls. Um, that means we need to be uh, sentries and, and guard uh, um, against the attacks of the evil one, which happen within our own heart and soul and conscience. And that happens by word and by prayer. So you know, some call this uh, quiet time, some call it devotional time. <clears throat> Some call it um, prayer offices, but whatever it is, to uh, sit quietly and to listen, actively listen, and I do mean listen out loud to the Word of God, <laughs> and um, and then to pray out loud as well. Mm. So that, and to me, those are the the key elements of of self care. I'm also a great advocate of being cared for by another pastor, mm. and, and I mentioned earlier we too many. Clergy these days are solo entrepreneurs. They try to make it all happen, shake it out of their sleeve, and uh, do ministry by <laughs> adrenaline and willpower. <laughs> and um, no wonder they're burning out. Mm. No they're crashing and burning. Mm. Uh, we're not designed to operate that way. And certainly if you look at the Bible, <laughs> all the great servants of God, the, the prophets and the apostles, um, were um, people who knew where to find their strength. And it wasn't in them. So what gives us the idea that, <laughs> that we should somehow be uh, different than they? So we need to um, unplug and uh, to plug in instead to what God has to say to us by his spirit and his word. Mm. It takes um, discipline, frankly. Um, and uh, so that too can be a key part of our of our day and our week, our regular routine. So we're not constantly on the go, constantly in motion. Um, and particularly with technology, as wonderful as it is, it, it's it's a real killer in terms of training, um, robbiness of time mm-hmm. and attention. So um, it's interesting that St. Paul in two places um says pay attention to yourself uh, one to the pastors at ephesus and another to uh, young pastor timothy so in one case um, pay attention to yourself and to the flock and in the other case pay attention to yourself and to the doctrine <laughs> now <laughs> most christians frankly and especially pastors tend to be thinking well i should be always thinking about the other guy first mm. My first obligation is toward others. But here the apostle explicitly says to these servants of Christ, your first priority is yourself. Hmm. And then the other folks for for whom you're responsible, or in the case of 
uh, Timothy, even the public doctrine, the, the, uh, the teaching of Holy Scripture. You can't properly teach it if you yourself aren't in good shape. Mm. Um, likewise, you can't care for others if you're, you yourself are starving or, dr or drowning, as the case may be. So, I don't know, you, you remember when we all used to get on airplanes and, and they, <laughs> they, uh, <laughs> the uh, flight attendant would say in the event of the loss in cabin pressure, these oxygen masks come down from the ceiling. Mm. If you're traveling with someone who needs assistance, what are you supposed to do? Put your own, own mask on first. Mm. Why is that? Because if you don't have any oxygen, you can't help anybody else. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's, I think that's important. Yeah, I, I think so too. I know the, the oxygen mask, uh, when I, when I first uh, came on staff with JR, many, uh, the co-host who, uh, who's not with us today, many years ago, one of the first things he did was he handed me an oxygen mask. And I thought, this guy's lost his rocker. Like, something, <laughs> something's wrong. And, um, you know, that just became a statement for us for years and years and years, still is to this day, um, just in terms of what does it look like to put your oxygen mask on. So, like, you know, how I'm thinking about the pastor right now who, who might be hearing this and just feeling this deep sense of conviction and longing to be moving in that direction. What, what would you say to that pastor? Well, probably the, we all know this intellectually. It's, it's not rocket science, hmm. <laughs> but you know, willpower is the other thing. And, and frankly, the average pastor today is, is, his or her life is just chock full of, of things. And so it's very hard to even begin to think about, well, where am I going to begin to even carve out the time to let this happen? Mm. Well, uh, to that, I would respond. I mean, you do manage somehow to put some uh, calories down your gullet uh, a couple of times a day. You, you manage to do other things that are important for your own physical welfare, somewhat of your family's welfare, perhaps. So why not give it a try and, and maybe incrementally mm. and don't try to be as a spiritual weightlifter if you haven't had any exercise at all. So um, it's interesting that um, many of the great um, uh, Christian thinkers have, have seen their, their life of meditation and prayer as an exercise program or a discipline. Mm. Um, I came fairly late in life to an awareness of my own physical limitations and my need for physical exercise so that I would actually deliberately set out <laughs> to, to have an exercise program of sorts. And uh, I could, I'm, I'm anxious to get back to that again as, as the restrictions lift. Mm. But um, so I found the rewards are. are are um, built in, and it, it also then makes it more normal and part of your regular routine. Mm -hmm. um, I like. I, I'm a great advocate of that. A, that, a, that the Christian's own life of prayer and meditation, and that goes double for pastors, is is not um, is not uh, you know, pre-programmed. It can't be determined ahead of time. It's dependent upon your own disposition, your own makeup. And um, so imagination is part of this. Meditation is not merely thinking real hard. Some of us 
who are particularly enamored of theology, as I hope most of us are, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, tend to think of meditation as, as kind of studying of one piece with studying, and it's really not. Mm. It's more chewing over and mulling over. It's in the experience of the great, um, of the great Christians of, of previous eras, it, it's really a, a um, oral process. It, it's done out loud. Mm. So we can speak our prayers out loud. We can listen to the Word of God out loud. Maybe sing <laughs> the Word of God. Mm. So whatever fits your particular circumstance and your makeup <laughs> is what you ought to be doing. In my own life, I've found I've gravitated toward now kind of a, a routine of combining physical exercise and and meditation and prayer. So I'm I'm listening through my earbuds to some um, um, enmity or some um, spiritual music that maybe um, helps me to focus on important things. And then uh, at an appropriate time, we have, there's a kind of a park bench where I do most of my my oral meditation and prayer. Um, uh, a lot of folks these days are spending time behind the wheel of an automobile and instead of listening to talk radio and building and, and ramping up your blood pressure. <laughs> how, about, how about instead shutting it off and spending the time reciting God's word and praying? Um, you know, so find new ways to approach this. It doesn't have to be a chore. And as you get used to it, it becomes more and more a part of you. And um, and you find a great deal of enrichment that way. Mm. I feel like that's such... You know, thinking about what you said about your calendar, you know, and even just in terms of finding, making the intentional spaces that you're already doing and seeing that as an opportunity to connect with the Lord and to meditate, uh, to use your imagination to be chewing on scripture and chewing on what God has to say is just deeply practical stuff for, I think, for health, for pastors to stay healthy, uh, to be present to what God is doing. And even coming back to that, you know, the first question or the first thing that really struck me in your book, when you said, when ministry is rooted in Jesus and his gifts, that ministry will be all the more fruitful. It's not, it's, if it's rooted in, in my strength and my ability and my relevantness, it's going to have a pretty, pretty quick end. But when it's rooted in Christ, it's something that is so much more meaningful and fruitful. Um, you know, and, and how, as we begin to wind down, just w- one more question, you know, you have pastor's attention. It's, it's Monday morning or, you know, maybe it's Tuesday because they just couldn't, couldn't bear to listen to Monday morning pastor on Monday. But what is one thing that you'd like for each one to hear and remember about the work of caring for souls as we end this time that we have together? Mm-hmm. Well, I think I'll go back to that word privilege. Um, you know, the Apostle Paul mentioned that he, he was not worthy of the task that was given to him. Um, and uh, yet, uh, Christ, in his great riches, uh, gave him the ministry. He put him into the ministry. And ministry means to serve another and not to make it happen on my own. And so, um, if I focus on the one who has commissioned me, and rather than on my own energies, my own ingenuity, then I'm going to relax. I'm going to be able to have the luxury of paying attention 
bully an individual because I'm not trying to um, manipulate someone into or arm wrestle them into a particular frame of mind, but I'm sim simply listening and then I'm, then I'm going to um, pray God's word for them and with them and um, allow them to move toward maturity in Christ Jesus. And that's a life, well, lifelong process. So, um, to me, uh, though I'm less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I might preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's mm. what it's all about. Mm. Well, thank you so much, Hal. It was really good having you with us today. What a privilege to, to visit with you and many blessings to you and all your listeners. Thank you. Thank you.